0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the August 14th, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic DiZutti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get right to our first topic. On Tuesday, there were three major announcements about the Elijah McClain case in Aurora. The Colorado Attorney General's Office announced it has also been investigating broader policies and practices of the Aurora Police Department. Meanwhile, the Aurora City government announced it is hiring a law enforcement consulting firm to provide a comprehensive review of its police department. And Elijah McLean's family announced they are filing a federal civil rights case against the city of Aurora and the individuals involved in McLean's death. Patty Cajun from Westward, we start with you. A lot of big headlines coming out of Aurora, which is the biggest one in your eyes?
1: Well, I think the big relief had to be that they didn't pull over any family with little girls going to get manicures last week. So they beat that. That was the previous week. It was a real one-two punch right after Aurora had done what they thought was the right thing, which was announcing they were going to have yet another investigation of their own police procedures and the Elijah McClain case. But I think that's exactly what Aurora needs to do because they didn't get to the bottom of it during the last investigations. That the AG would add yet another investigation to one they're already doing of the Elijah McClain incident makes sense. I mean, I think as much as you can look at the Aurora Police Department and figure out where things are going wrong, uh, the better. The lawsuit was not a surprise. We're coming up on the tragic one-year anniversary of the police stopping Elijah McClain and then his death in the hospital a few days thereafter. Let's hope that everyone in Aurora pays attention to the tragedy and behaves themselves as best they can and focuses on improving the situation come uh, August 23rd when the big protest is.
0: Eric Sonneman, columnist with uh, Colorado Politics, political analyst here. Uh, Eric, it seems with the state attorney general's office involved and independent review that the city is making happen, that I'll, those are the right steps, and they look good. But it also feels that actions from those, uh, what looks good, needs to also happen. Do you think we will see that? Or is this pointing in the right direction in your eyes?
2: Well, I think these are right steps, Dominic, but I think your question somewhat answers itself. Uh, studies, consulting firms, uh, investigations, that's all good, but if they just gather dust on a bookshelf, or these days I don't know if there are bookshelves anymore, or on a hard drive, uh, you know, what's the real value add of them? We ultimately, this thing is not going away, it is only intensifying, the scrutiny is intensifying, but the ultimate proof will be in what comes out of these in terms of lessons learned and procedures changed. Uh, Patty nailed it a week ago, and you know, I'll echo that, but I mean, the question is, are we having fun yet, Vanessa Wilson? Are we having fun yet, uh, Mike Kaufman? This is becoming part of the Aurora brand. I mean, Aurora is being branded with this, not wholly unlike Ferguson, Missouri, is now on the map. Krista Kiefer joins us remotely. It's great
0: to see you again, Krista. When you look at what we're seeing from the city of Aurora, is enough, done, uh, is enough being done to be proactive? Well, yes, I'm not sure this is really, I can call it proactive at this point, but is enough being done uh, in response from the city of Aurora in your eyes?
3: I think it really depends on how they follow through with these investigations. What do they come up with and what do they do? Fact is, is that a young man should not die from just walking down the street at the wrong time and finding out how to prevent this from happening again. I think they need to look at ketamine. Ketamine is a powerful drug with some powerful applications, but should it be used in this instance? How did it contribute to this young man's death? So looking at that, looking at other procedures and making Aurora, which is a fabulous city, making Aurora a safe place for everyone.
0: And Greg Moore joins us remotely. Greg Moore, the former editor of the Denver Post and current editor-in-chief at Deke Digital. Greg, it's fantastic to have you back. Uh, You know, as Patty talked about, we're almost a year from uh, the tragic uh, death of Elijah McLean. It seems that a lot of this action has happened after the protests. First, the initial protests and rallies uh, around the murder of George Floyd and uh, now uh, bringing back this case to light. And now we're seeing some action. Would you attribute uh, some of the action that we're seeing to the recent rallies in Aurora?
4: Oh, I, I think there's no question about that. Um, the protest uh, and the demands for action, I think, really uh, you know forced the hand of uh, the officials in, uh, in Aurora. And, and, and what I would say is that I, I would really like to see uh, Mike Kaufman, whom, who I know really well, and, and other public officials there, be a lot more proactive, to use your word, to sort of reassure the community that they're taking this seriously, that this is a place where people of color, and particularly African Americans uh, and Latinos, uh, should be able to feel comfortable. And right now, I don't think that they feel comfortable with the level of policing in that community and the way that it's being done. Uh, so so uh, I, I, I think the protest has uh, created a lot of pressure. I'm happy to see the, the, the external investigations, uh, which I think will have more credibility, quite frankly, than the internal one. And uh, if you can combine that with more forceful declarations about the, the the values that they um, that they hold in in, in in Aurora when it comes to policing and communities of color, I think that combination could could
0: have some results that could represent real change. A poll released on Thursday revealed that the race to represent Colorado's third congressional district is essentially tied. A survey of 400 likely voters found Diane Mitch Bush, a Democrat, with 43 percent support, and Lauren Boebert, a Republican, with 42 percent support. Four percent of the voters were undecided and three other candidates split the remaining 11 percent. In June, Boebert defeated incumbent Representative Scott Tipton for the Republican nomination. Uh, Eric, uh, you and I will be jumping into uh, the election season in September, a lot of ballot issues. But CD3, which was uh, not always sleepy, it's, a, it's been um, a big deal in Colorado, but this was not on anyone's radar that we're going to be talking about CD3, especially after June. Uh, Boebert pulled off a pretty big upset. I think that shows that she knows how to campaign. If you, I can beat Scott Tipton without knowing that. But now this is a
2: race. What are you, what are you expecting uh, out of CD3 this fall? Well, it shows the primary win, shows she knows how to campaign in a Republican primary. We will see if she knows how to campaign uh, among the electorate at large. I think this, Dominic, is probably the most competitive race in the state, with all due respect to the U.S. Senate race. But I think, and this poll that was released, who knows about the exact accuracy of the poll, but I think it demonstrates that, that this is where a lot of eyeballs are going to be for the next several months, And on election night, Uh, this was the subject of my most recent column in Colorado politics. You know, if viewers want to go read it there, shameless plug. But I tried to, uh, my main thesis was that both of these candidates are a gigantic departure from the representatives that this district has known, whether on the Democratic side, dating back to Ray Kegosik, Frank Evans, John Salazar, on the Republican side, dating back to Scott McGinnis, Ben Nighthorse Campbell, Mike Strang, Scott Tipton. This is what politics has become these days. If Congress, really, the job description has changed. They don't even pass a budget anymore. Legislating is almost an afterthought. It's sound bites. It's feigned outrage. It's knowing your way to the cable television studio. Lauren Boebert is certainly uh, the candidate of that ilk. Uh, Diane Mitzbush is also much more sort of out there on the left than typical Democratic candidates have been. It will be interesting to watch, but it is definitely a new era in Congressional District 3.
0: Chris, as you look at CD3 and specifically in a candidate like Lauren Boebert, uh, this is not a typical Republican. She is certainly a new kind of Republican uh, that uh, has made a a big impact with her Big primary win. But CD3 is uh, a whole different kind of political beast. When it, it takes the entire western slope, a lot of mountain communities, but then it swings south. So you have the, the uh, uh, includes Pueblo. So there are a lot of different communities. You really can't say, here's what CD3 stands for, because it includes way too many different kinds of Coloradans. Uh, what, how do you think this new kind, of color, new kind of Republican is going to do in a district like CD3?
3: I think we'll see. I mean, you're right about the the district. We've got liberal Aspen, you've got conservative towns, you've got a, a kind of blue collar, old style, democratic city like Pueblo. So it's a very diverse district that tends to be Republican. She's an interesting person. I think she was underestimated by. Her her opponent, Congressman Tipton, I suspect she may be underestimated by the Democrats as well. But the gal's got guts and people like that quality. People like people who are brave. So I I think she's got a a very good shot of taking that seat and adding a really interesting voice, that of a small businesswoman and and in a very, rifles, very rural, uh, adding a very rural and, uh, you know, small business I think she's going to be quite the asset to the party if she wins.
0: Greg, a couple of weeks ago, Joey Bunch was uh, among the many wise words he echoed that day, uh, brought the point that a woman will be representing CD3, uh, uh, whatever happens, at uh, by the time we get to November. Uh, what do you think of the race as you look at it? Uh, not only Lauren Boebert, we've been talking about, but uh, Diane Bush, who is uh, clearly uh, uh, someone who knows the district well since she's run for the seat before. Yeah.
4: You know, I I think the big surprise for me is just how close the race is. Um, And I think that says a lot about, um, you know, how how the Republicans uh, are are being looked at by the electorate and how incumbents are being looked at by the electorate. I think there's a lot of dissatisfaction with the way things have been going in Washington uh, about taking care of the people's business and. When you look at that district, there are a lot of issues that um, that the constituents there would like to have addressed from you know affordable housing to health care uh, to what's happening in some of the agricultural parts of 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 of, of, of the district and so uh, I, I think it's a turning point, not just when it comes to to sort of gender representation, which I think is welcomed in Colorado. But, but this is really a call for action that, you know, whichever one of those candidates can eke out a victory, I think that they have to go to Washington with the agenda to get things done and not necessarily be beholden to any particular uh, ideology, philosophy, party politics. So I think it's a, it's a turning point. Uh, I like to, you know, use the word inflection point. But, but I think this is really a, a call for real change and sort of business as usual in Washington.
0: Patty, I can't imagine several months ago uh, in the campaign that Diane Mitch Bush thought she would see a, uh, a, a poll come out in August that put her a point ahead of the Republican nominee. Uh, but now's where she finds herself and probably a lot of national money coming into what would have been a pretty small race uh, over overall. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, look at just how much things change in a year. It was a year ago tomorrow that Hickenlooper pulled out of the presidential race. So you see how things have shifted and Thank the Lord we actually have an interesting race going on here now. I think everyone's tired of the Hickenlooper-Gardner matchup already. But Bobert and Bush is going to be very lively. I think Bobert is the most interesting candidate to come along. Oh, let's say the most unpredictable quote person since Tom Tancredo, who has endorsed her. So we are going to have plenty to talk about and write about, and it will liven up the, liven up the campaign, and we need that.
0: Denver's Coliseum's parking lot was going to be sanctioned for a legal place for homeless people to live during the pandemic, but that plan has been canceled due to concerns the area is already under-resourced. While a search for a different location is underway, Denver authorities continue to break up unauthorized encampments around the city. Krista, we start with you on this one. Uh, we have tackled at least uh, talked about the uh, homeless situation in Denver for, it, it feels, the, the entire extent of the show for 28 years. But specifically in 2020, it's been a bigger problem. At very least, the idea that some encampment was going to be available offered some sort of idea that there is... Uh, an idea. I'm not even going to call it a solution, an idea out there. Now that that's off the table, with city officials saying we're at least a month out from any other idea being on the table, uh, it, it, I don't know, it, it felt like to, to me that uh, the, the, um, a big punt on the situation saying, well, we'll handle it in a month. People still need to find some place to live in a month. When you look at what happened, what were some of your reactions? You know,
3: I'm glad they're not going to do it. For the sake of the people in that community, why would you want a big homeless camp? I mean, these camps are a source of disease, things like trench fever that you haven't seen since World War I. Uh, You've got uh, rats, human waste, tons and tons of trash, crime. So for the sake of the people in that community, I'm glad they're not going to have the Coliseum parking lot open to encampments. The police need to continue to move these folks along so that they will have the incentive to check in with services, to get those services, to find not only a bed and, a, and, a, and something to eat, but also a chance to get sober, a chance to find a job, to be able to support themselves and to be able to start a new life. We do not need to be enabling people to make bad choices. And so pushing them, incentivizing them to make better choices is the most humane thing we can do.
0: Greg, what do you think? I mean, I think uh, Krista brings up a good point about the neighborhood. Swansea Elyria has really been put through the ringer, gosh, I think for probably close to half a century at this point. This was just the latest of things that are going to be targeted for that community. Uh, what what should the city be concentrating on and trying to at least address the problem?
4: Well, you know, I, I, I don't know that the city or really any government entity has the uh, the, the answers to how to solve the, uh, the homeless problem. My, my own view is that uh, they need to get the the private sector more involved in trying to um you know figure this thing out. There are a number of uh social impact um you know organizations out there investment groups that you know have a vested interest in helping to solve social problems and for for example i i i i i i think that they might consider something like creating um um you know um you know what do you call them, mobile home camps or something like that where the private sector can help build some small domiciles you know maybe even like studios where you know one room places where uh homeless people can actually shelter themselves with some dignity and and then in that in that in that particular park you know have a combination of you know social services and mental health services and Uh, job training services and they can get a decent meal and take a shower and that you can't bring junk in, you can't bring, you know, grocery carts in, Um, you know, they have sanitation services in there and maybe do that in uh, a number of different areas spread out through, through the metropolitan community. But the whole aim is to get people the proper, you know, social services to get off of substance abuse problems, get mental health services, get job training uh, but we've got to come up with a different way of doing this, kicking them around from place to place to place and finding a neighborhood where you can sort of, you know, put them and you know, get little resistance, I don't think really solves the problem. I think we need a new
0: approach altogether. Patty, were you surprised to see that the plan to use the Coliseum parking lot fell through?
1: No, because people will complain about almost any proposal. The nearest resident to that parking lot is a mile and a half away. You're not going to find many places like that unless, say, you use the Park Hill golf course, which has also been suggested. The city's problem was it should have had alternative additional sites besides that one. So you weren't just inflicting the same neighborhood that already has a lot of industry, a lot of pollution, a lot of issues. But why not find some things in somewhere in Capitol Hill, in southwest Denver, in areas that... My area, Northwest Denver, these should be spread out through the city so that you share the wealth, you share the poverty, but so that people have an option to get services. You don't do sweeps without an option, and that was the problem. The city was supposed to have this set up when they swept at the Capitol, when they swept at Maury Middle School, and they didn't. So those people are off on the streets again, they're going to be harder to find.
0: Eric, wrap it up for us. I mean, this is not a problem that the city or anybody else is going to solve um, with any one policy, but should uh, should actually be taken quicker to finding more alternative sites. The idea of waiting for a month seems – I'm not a city official. I don't know how long it takes. I'm, I'm just a citizen, but it feels that's a long time to wait until another set of possible places are found.
2: Yeah, yeah no, I'll echo a lot of what you know, Patty and Krista and, and Greg have all said. Uh, you're right, it does seem like a punt and it does seem like a, a, a long time. This is my first time in this studio in, I think, five months now, and just driving up Welton to get here, you now see, I wouldn't call a full encampment, but it's a mini encampment around the Blair Caldwell Library uh, and in other places. So this is, it's sort of a metastasizing, excuse the word, but a metastasizing phenomenon uh, around Denver. From a social justice, environmental justice point of view, it was correct not to dump one more of these burdens on Elyria, Swansea, Globeville. But it has to go somewhere, and I'm with Patty, that it shouldn't just be one it. It should be multiple as opposed to one mega complex, break it up into two, three, four complexes. And I'm not aware of any neighborhood that is sort of standing in line, waving their hands, saying, bring it here, bring it here. Uh, This is what leadership is about. No other city has figured this out either. I mean, it is the problem that, that bedevils so many locales these days. But Denver better figure out a solution, and the emphasis better be on quick. On Tuesday, the
0: RTD board voted down a measure to do- redirect $27.3 million the agency pays in security to outreach workers in mental health and social services. The resolution failed 14 to 1, with many board members instead supporting the creation of a commission to review RTD's security system. Greg, we're going to start with you on this one. Um, I guess I'm not stunned that RTD didn't decide to move all their security money into a new area, but it brings up an interesting conversation because RTD and public transit, you find a lot of folks that could use uh, uh, mental health services. Uh, Is there hope that RTD might at least be able to be a source for some needed services?
4: I think so. I I think what what the action by the RTD board represented was a, a plea for more time, Uh, To really study the issue, uh, it's a complex issue. I mean, as you said, there are people that are using public transit. They have mental health issues and things of that nature. And their first responsibility is to make sure that people who use public transit can use it and use it safely. Um, I'm hoping that they're going to be able to look at a a number of different options and maybe come up with a, a hybrid, as some have suggested, where there's a smaller sort of law enforcement presence that is associated with, you know, uh, uh youth transit use, and 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 then they combine that with some mental health services. But I just don't think it's good public policy to sort of, as Patty was saying earlier, uh, to 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 move people or to discard what you have without really knowing what you're going to replace it with. And I think it was just a plea for more time. And
0: I I, I think it was a smart move. Patty, I think the idea here is strong and that having some mental health services available, but I, I can understand the, the board directors deciding not to spend all of the security money doing that. Do you think we'll see some uh, different kinds of ideas come out of RTD?
1: Well, I certainly hope we see some different ideas. We do need more time. This was specifically because the Allied security contract was coming up. I was at the scene of the crime, and it was a literal crime last night, Union Station, where an artist who was trying to get home late at night wound up getting beaten up by three Allied security guards at the Union Station bus terminal bathrooms. This was a response to that largely. Uh, he, He sustained brain damage. It was horrific. That is not everything that happens on the bus. Often you just are taking fares or you have people who are a little obstreperous. You need a combination and you need more time to work that out.
0: Uh, Eric, your thoughts on how RTD is at least handling this official
2: resolution. Do
0: you think we'll see more productivity in the future?
2: Don't know. We'll see. It strikes me that this whole debate that RTD has or is having, sort of mimics the broader debate in police departments. It's, it's defund the police. It's that d- debate uh, in terms of whether we're going to have security, law enforcement, or we're going to put more emphasis on mental health and other kinds of social services. At the end of the day, I think the 14 to 1 vote was telling in that RTD first and foremost has to be a transit agency and run a transit operation. And Lord knows that is enough of a challenge for them at the moment, even before COVID and now magnified by COVID, uh, before they can be a mental health agency. But to the incident Patty just mentioned, you need to have those kinds of resources available as well.
0: Krista, wrap it up for us. Your thoughts on RTD's move?
3: You know, there's already state, federal, local, Mental health pro- uh, programs. There's also private health programs. I think if these aren't doing the job, maybe that's the question we should be asking. As we've done, as we've done this question, I keep having flashbacks of writing the O and the 15, uh, two pretty tough bus routes. And there's a lot of security needs there. A lot of folks depending on this kind of transit. And with the uptick in crime in this city, we need to make sure that those spaces are safe.
0: It's time for our very favorite part of the show, disgrace of the week. As always, Miss Calhoun, please start us off.
1: And it is a disgrace-packed week. I'm going to go partly with Mother Nature and the wildfires out west in Colorado, which are so horrific. But also with Google Maps, which, in order to make sure people can avoid closed I-70 in Gladwood Canyon, is is sending people in their little non-four-wheel-drive cars through four-wheel-drive paths and over rivers. And uh, it is the craziest thing. If you are heading west, be careful.
0: When they had put out a warning to not use Cottonwood uh, Creek or Cottonwood Pass, I was like, okay, folks, <laughs> people in four-wheel drive, Jeeps don't use that
2: as often. Uh, Eric, your disgrace of the week. Oh, I'm with Patty. I think we should do a full 30-minute show on disgraces. But if I have to pick one, just one I think you can't get more cynical. President Trump's move to not fund the Postal Service or not give the Postal Service the resources that they clearly need to just cripple the whole vote-by-mail process, it's, it's a it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you, you, you predict it's going to be a disaster, you withhold the money, so then it becomes more problematic and you get to say, I told you so. The cynicism and the voter suppression of it is just astounding. Krista, we go to you for your Disgrace of the Week.
3: You know, I'm going to give it to two really evil people Sean and Desiree Andrews who hunted down and shot and killed a dog that was walking on the sidewalk and I you know I know crime is up in the city there's a lot of nasty people but to just find a dog and and kill that dog I'm so glad these people are in jail and I hope they stay there a long time
0: here here Greg we go to you next for your disgrace the week
4: uh, I'm, I'm going to give it to the Aurora police chief, uh, Vanessa Wilson, for refusing to do an interview with the Denver Post for their story on Sunday about police abuses at Aurora. And it goes right to the point I was making earlier about the failure of leaders there to sort of publicly address the concerns of, of the community and reassure them that uh, this is not going to be tolerated and that it's a daily, um, a daily focus for them.
0: Time to say something nice. Patty?
1: I'm going to return to Aurora, which is maybe the most interesting town in Colorado right now. Tomorrow, they always have an annual global festival because one out of five residents of Aurora is from another country. And they're having the global fest virtually this year. You could tune in on the Aurora Facebook, celebrate some good things about that city.
2: Eric, I'm going to do the world's quickest twofer. First to you, Dominic, for your comments last week. I know that was not an easy situation, but thank you for setting a standard and raising the standard uh, around this table. Secondly, a woman, Meredith Latshaw, if I have the pronunciation correct, who is a beloved teacher at Grandview High School, killed in a freak accident, camping with her family. A tree fell on her. And our friend around this table, Alan Janay from Channel 4, and his daughters were camping at the next site and were the first on the scene and administered her wonderful care in her, in her last moments. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate that. Chris, did we go to you for your Say Something Nice?
3: I'm going to give it to Councilwoman Candy C. DeBaca. She wants to abolish the Denver police and put in some kind of a peace force. I live in the suburbs, and the minute that press release went out, my home value went way, way up. So you know what? This little tiny house is now worth a lot of money. Thank you so much, Councilwoman.
0: (laughs) And, Greg, we go to you for your
4: Say Something Nice. Um, I'm going to say something nice about uh, Pastor Brian Cedarwall of the uh, Denver Dream Center. They're going to be giving away 200,000 pounds of food to families affected by the pandemic uh, every Friday at the Pepsi Center. And, and that's through the generosity of the greater Denver, Metro Denver community. Just a really, really great thing
0: to see happen. Great to see that kind of thing happening. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at PBS 12, thank you so much for watching. Good night.